0: This is episode number 521 with Quinn Tran, technical writer for NVIDIA and Towards Data Science and data science intern at Ocelot Consulting. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is John a chief data scientist and best-selling author on deep learning. Each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today, and now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today's guest is the remarkable and inspiring Quinn Tran. Quinn is a force to be reckoned with when it comes to communicating data science. Since becoming an author for the Towards Data Science blog less than two years ago, her articles garner a staggering 100,000 views per month. The quality and the reach of Quinn's writing recently led the microchip manufacturing giant NVIDIA to ask her to be a technical writer on their developer blog as well. In addition to this long-form blogging, she also writes practical daily posts featuring Python code on her LinkedIn and her own data science simplified short-form blog, leading to her developing a highly engaged and quickly growing social media following of over 25,000 subscribers in only a little over a year. The craziest thing about Quinn's meteoric rise in such a short time is that she's still an undergraduate student. She currently has a perfect 4.0 grade point average in the computational and applied mathematics degree that she expects to complete next year. In today's episode, Quinn fills us in on how publishing your writing can skyrocket your career. Uh, She knows from experience her own writing has led to her landing four data science jobs, including her current role building freight transport models for Ocelot Consulting. She also fills us in on her tricks for maximizing engagement with the content you publish, her favorite data science tools and approaches, and her tricks for prioritizing and being as epically productive as she is across her studies, her data science work, and her prodigious technical writing. Today's episode will appeal most to you if you're an early career data scientist or if you're someone at any stage of your profession and you're keen to learn how you can dramatically accelerate your career by sharing your voice online. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Gwen, welcome to the podcast. It's so awesome that you're here. How are you doing today? Where in the world are you calling in from?
1: Um, Hi, John. Um, Thank you for having me in the show. I'm in Illinois, um, southern Illinois, so it's very close to St. Louis.
0: Oh, close to St. Louis. All right, Mm -hmm. because in my head, I guess I always think about Illinois... I always think about Chicago, but of course, Illinois Uh is a big state.
1: (laughs) Right. So the funny thing is that everybody, when I say Illinois, they associated me with Chicago, but I'm I'm four hours away from Chicago and half an hour (laughs) away from St. Louis, which is another state. Yeah.
0: In Missouri, right?
1: Right.
0: Nice. All right. Uh, Do you go down to St. Louis? That's like the big city when you want to like have a big night out or? (laughs) uh, Yeah. Cool. Yeah
1: it's it's I like San Luis. It's um you know it's it's not too small, but it's not too big, so you you don't worry too much about traffic jam and you still have so many things to do um in the city.
0: Nice. Very cool, Quinn. Mm -hmm. So I know you through your LinkedIn posts. So you are a you post so many LinkedIn posts that are obviously hugely valuable to the LinkedIn community, I can see that basically every single one gets hundreds of reactions. And these are quite practical posts on Mm -hmm. how to write Python code, in particular libraries, so that data scientists can make the most of that software. Uh, And so, you know, I've I've known about you for a while, I've seen these posts for a while, and I've had this idea in my mind, oh, man, I've got to see if Quinn would like to be on the Super Data Science Show. Uh And then recently, at the time of recording, you Mm -hmm. published a LinkedIn post where you posted a photo of my book, Deep Learning Illustrated, Mm -hmm. and it got over 500 reactions, which I (laughs) think is more than any post I've ever made. So I was like, you know what? This is it. This is the sign. I just got to ask Quinn. I was like, Mm -hmm. she obviously knows who I am now. Uh, Mm -hmm. So let's see if she wants to be on the show. And I was so happy that you said yes.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, I have been a fan of your show, so uh, it's a no-brainer to say yes to your (laughs) request.
0: Nice. Yeah, I was happy to learn that, that you were a fan of the show already. Super cool. So not only do you write all of these LinkedIn posts, which have tens of thousands of views on average, Mm -hmm. uh, but you actually also write outside of LinkedIn, in a longer form. So LinkedIn, you're constrained to these small posts. And I think you do an excellent job with that small format. So you often will do a screenshot of a particular chunk of code that illustrates something clearly, and then you explain what you're doing in that chunk of code. So it works really well in the short LinkedIn format, but you also write long form articles. So you've been writing for Towards Data Science for a while now. You've written over a hundred articles for Towards Data Science. And so that's led to a lot of eyeballs on your content. So you're now over 100,000 views per month on Towards Data Science alone for your long form blog posts. So my first question for you, Quinn, is what kinds of posts or types of posts do you find resonate most with your audience? Or what are you most passionate about writing?
1: Uh yeah, so um, that uh, that there, there two type of posts that I'm very passionate about sharing. So uh, I, I, I t- you you said right, I write very short posts and very like long posts in form of articles. And mm-hmm. for the articles, I because it's longer, so um, I take that as an opportunity to use the knowledge that I know, so maybe some tools, some concepts I know, and put them together in an article and Mm -hmm. try Mm -hmm. to explore what I'm curious about. So Mm -hmm. my article is a mix of what I really know and what I want to learn more about.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's good. uh, I'm pretty similar. I'm often like, wow, there's something kind of interesting here, but Mm -hmm. I really want to dig into this more. And if I commit to writing it, Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the book is even a good example. I wrote I the book "Deep Learning Illustrated" uh-huh. because I wanted to really understand these concepts well. So I completely understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, I actually heard that from your podcast, and I'm like, "Wow, mm-hmm. that's difficult, though." Like, I- I'm doing articles. It- I feel like it's somehow easier than a book or course, you know. So it was I? Like, wow, that's crazy. I I need to I need to I. So somebody else doing this. So. I probably can do something even more, you know, so. Um,
0: yeah, no uh, doubt. Actually, I can give you a little bit of a secret, which is uh-huh. that you you need to break the work into smaller chunks. So uh-huh. for writing that book, I broke it into a series of videos. So I created the content and, you know, learned the content very well for these much smaller deadlines of creating videos. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. then once I had it was about 20 hours of videos done, I was mm-hmm. like, well, now all of this will tie together very nicely into a book. And so I imagine you could wow. probably do something similar mm-hmm. with your blog posts. So if, mm-hmm. you know, if, you, if there's some overarching themes around your mm-hmm. blog posts, a book could kind of be a combination of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, that is a very great advice. I had just realized it recently. Um, so, you know, like I have all the LinkedIn posts um, and I, I gathered them into a, a book um, oh. called, yeah, called Efficient.
0: Oh, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So, you know, like I put together in two days, right? It's because, and it's still kind of, I, I think it's still high quality because because I spend a lot of time per day for each post. So now I put all of those together. So it's all the, you know, all the group. Uh, other research, right? Put yeah. it in, into one resource.
0: I just found it here as we were speaking. It's called <laughs> Efficient Python Tricks and Tools for Data Scientists. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, and it looks like there's a GitHub link to get that. Is it a free book or do you charge for it? It's,
1: it's a free book because oh, wow. I, I, just, there you go. I, I feel like, because you see what I, the free resource I already share. So I just want to find a way to put them together into uh, one website where people can play with the code
0: Yeah. and
1: yeah, yeah that, that makes me happy.
0: Yeah. That sounds great. So mm-hmm. here I am telling you how you could make a book. And meanwhile, you've already done it. <laughs> um, um, I actually,
1: I actually talked to a lot of people, you know, um, it's not easy to just come up with a season to write a book. I, I think it, it takes a lot of um, in, like uh, motivation to, to get to write a book.
0: Yeah. It, it was The worst experience of my life, for sure. (laughs) But now I'm doing it again. I'm writing a second book. So there's something it's usually rewarding when you're done, Uh but it is complicated because you have to, the whole book, like, so my first book was about 600 pages and it has to be consistent and correct all the way through. So you I think when you write a good book, you need to be able to say things. When you're in chapter four, you say, Hey, there's more of this coming up in chapter 14 and this builds on what we've done in chapter one. And Uh, somebody who's reading the book, they're not necessarily going to read it from front to back. They'll be referencing back to things. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be this consistency, this kind of tightness throughout it that I think that's, that's the hardest part about it.
1: Yeah. Um, um, I read a lot of technical books and how I read them was, you know, I, I don't read, like, you know, you don't, I feel like a book is like a resource that, you know, you take some from this book, there's some from another book. And um, how I often read book is I just get to the chapter that I'm very interested in. And I did the same with your book. <laughs> um, so, and, and it was very interesting. I actually, I get to one chapter and from one chapter I read it consecutively because that's where I want to learn more about.
0: Right, that makes sense. Do you remember which chapter it was in mine? Which one was that you were so interested in?
1: Yeah, that, that's a very good question. Who um, had that book with me? Uh, I think I put it somewhere. Um, but I think what I was really trying to, because I'm using deep learning in my current internship, and I, I, I used the friend book, but I don't really understand like what each Parameter do so reading your book really helps me to uh, understand it because for me I, anything I is uh, showing a lot in my articles I like to learn from pictures from graphs and you put a lot of them in your book and it just makes it uh, so much easier for me to follow without you know take a lot of time to understand the math concept behind it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a, the,
1: yeah, I'm a math yeah. person. I am still prefer reading something that not too heavy in math.
0: Yeah, that's, that was exactly the idea with that, mm-hmm. is that I think a lot of people can learn concepts more easily mm-hmm. visually. And so I was mm-hmm. teaching that content in classrooms. Mm-hmm. And I found that there were particular ways that I found of explaining things with a whiteboard, using different color markers on a whiteboard. And then I thought, OK, this is, this is a good approach for teaching in a book as well. And then luckily I was able to partner with Agley Bassens who is an amazing artist and she did an incredible job taking my terrible color sketches and turning them into beautiful illustrations. Anyway, we're not here to talk about my book. So I'm gonna <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Uh, so we were talking about your posts. You were talking about how um, you like to make long form posts that blend together um, things that you're already familiar with and things that you uh, would like to learn even better. You filled us in a bit on the kinds of content that you like to write about, but what are your tricks? How can listeners who might be writing their own posts increase their engagement? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so So I have been, so you're talking about articles or LinkedIn posts?
0: Well, either, I suppose. I mean, I guess I was more asking about kind of the towards data science articles, these mm-hmm. kinds of long form posts, mm-hmm. but I guess either could be interesting.
1: Yeah, I could talk about articles first. So I have been played, you know, because you you, you there's not a one way that fit all. So I have been played with different ways of writing. Um, so I guess a lot at the beginning, a lot of people... The question that I often get from people is how you how can you be consistent with your writing? And my trick was at the beginning I didn't write such long articles like I do now. I write very mm. short articles because mm. it's very easy to write and um, it actually like good for the people who don't have a lot of time to read articles. So recently I write longer articles, but that's one thing that I keep consistent through all my articles, is the interpretability of the articles. So
0: interpretability. What,
1: what I, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for every of my article, I will give a person who don't have a technical writing a technical understanding of the subject, and have them maybe they have some statistics knowledge, but not so much about data science, and they I will have them reading my articles and see if they right. understand it. And if there's some point that they don't understand, I will be like, okay, I need to add more pictures mm-hmm. here, or I need to explain it better, or I should shorten this um, this this article. Uh, so multiple points that I try to optimize in my articles is it's better to be simple than to be complex, right? Like sometimes people write very long concepts, long concept of uh, they they try to explain something in very lengthy uh words, but um what would be better is to explain the same thing in sim- simpler words but still deliver the same meaning. So yeah, and also I try to put a lot of codes and a lot of uh, bitters between words. So that a it, lot of
0: code it, and a lot of pictures, yeah. Yeah. so yeah, so that, helps so, that for sure.
1: so that people like, oh, I I can actually apply this for something or this. They look very interesting. It's it's like reading a comic book, you know. That, that's what I want people to feel like when they, they read my articles, and I, I kind of feel the same vibe when uh reading your book. Uh, so,
0: yep, we're definitely on the same page about that. This episode is brought to you by Super Data Science, our online membership platform for learning data science at any level. Yes, the platform is called Super Data Science, it's the namesake of this very podcast. In the platform, you'll discover all of our 50 plus courses which together provide over 300 hours of content, with new courses being added on average once per month. All of that and more you get as part of your membership at Super Data Science. So don't hold off, sign up today at www.superdatascience.com. Secure your membership and take your data science skills to the next level. as many pictures as I, as I can put in. <laughs> I agree, it makes things a lot more fun. And that was years ago, I used to write on Medium as well, uh, regularly. And that was definitely, I think Medium makes it very easy to insert photos in a way that is engaging. And another n- nice thing about Medium that you can probably corroborate, if people are looking for a place to do their writing, it's nice because it forces you to have your writing fit into a very specific template that always looks nice. So there's not there's not a lot of options, but you quickly discover that for most kinds of writing, you don't need all those options.
1: Right. Um, I, I think like Medium only allow you to do uh, H1 uh, case and an H2 headline, and that's it. Uh, if you want to do like H3, H4, they're not going to allow you. But that that's yeah, exactly. that's the beauty of it, right? Because because if if like they allow you to do more subcategories, it becomes very messy for yeah. the readers.
0: Exactly. So you got you've got heading one, heading two, and that's it. Exactly. And you know there's only one way to do bullets. There's only one way to have numbered lists, and so on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, all right. So you're you've been writing for Towards Data Science for about a year and a half, coming on two years. Um, and already it's made such a huge impact and it's led to new opportunities. So we're going to talk about a number of those, but one of those new opportunities that has recently come up at the time of recording is you now work for NVIDIA, one of the coolest tech companies in the world, as a tech writer for their developer blog. So that's super cool. I guess that happened as a result of them seeing how popular your Towards Data Science articles are and maybe even your LinkedIn posts.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, So they they reach out to me because they know me, they know my skills from my articles and LinkedIn posts. It's an expanding effect from my writing and I'm happy with it.
0: Yeah, it'll expand the impact of your writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so are there particular, I imagine when you write for Towards Data Science, which actually I should have mentioned right at the outset that Towards Data Science as a Medium publication is one of the most prestigious and well-known on the internet, not only just on Medium. So I should have mentioned that from the start with Towards Data Science, but I imagine when you're writing for Towards Data Science, can you basically write about anything you want? And then when you write for NVIDIA, is that still the same or are there kind of expectations that you write on particular topics? Right,
1: Um, so Towards Data Science even though I say I'm a technical writer for Towards Data Science, but they can have the right to accept me, accept my article or reject my article based Ah, on its quality. So that's why for every article that I write, I put a lot of effort in delivering high quality articles. And that is the reason why a lot of articles you see from Towards Data Science are high quality articles.
0: Um, Right. Right
1: they and um, mm-hmm. so I uh, for, for towards data science they it's not like there's an editor that edit your article because that would be a lot of work for them you know they they have like right. a lot of articles submitted to them every day but yeah. for Nvidia um, I will cooperate with some uh, technical expert to
0: right. uh,
1: discuss about some tools or review the draft of the article. So it's, it's two different cool. approach. Yep. And um, I think both will grow me as a writer.
0: Totally. You get two different kinds of experiences for towards mm-hmm. data science. You have to put extra time into making sure yourself, you have to be the editor, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be, you have to, you in, in some points you're thinking as the writer and you're being creative. But then at other points, you need to be very critical about what you're writing and kind of edit it. Whereas mm-hmm. with NVIDIA, it sounds like, they'll be able to, they'll have some resources that will kind of work with you and be able to edit a bit. So that'll be interesting. It'll That that feedback process will no doubt lead to even better writing mm-hmm. and just kind of be a, a great experience. So that's super cool. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, about you, you asked about the topic. So for towards oh, data yeah. science, sometimes I write some topics that are not related to data science, but it's interesting in a way that, for example, I could, write about an article on creating some app using python to do a particular thing and they love it so they don't oppose it i enjoy working with them because i know that i my articles not every article get accepted my articles accepted for most of mm-hmm. the time so i'm very happy with every time i my article is published with them. i'm very happy and proud of myself
0: very cool um, okay, so we have talked about uh, towards data science, obviously, and how that recently led to being invited to be a tech writer for the NVIDIA developer blog, and I think by the time that this episode is published, you should have probably a couple of those articles out on the NVIDIA blog, so listeners can check that out. The An interesting thing here that I want to mention, so most of the stuff that we've talked about so far in the episode would be interesting to other people who are interested in writing content themselves, maybe writing LinkedIn posts or writing blog posts or whatever. However, something that we should definitely mention is how doing that can be hugely helpful to your data science career in general. And probably even more broadly speaking, no matter what your career is, if you wanna be uh, perceived as a subject matter expert and be recognized by companies in whatever space you work in, Writing about that stuff publicly is a hugely useful way to demonstrate your expertise and draw attention and and it can lead to jobs. So for example, you Quinn, you've had four data science internship jobs come out of your writing. You're currently working at a firm called Ocelot Consulting. And you mentioned to me before the show that you really love working there. So I'm keen to learn about what Ocelot Consulting does and what you do there in particular.
1: Yeah, um, so Ocelot Consulting, as the name say, is a consulting firm on uh, different data science practice. So it's about, we advise on cloud uh, computing, on uh, data analysis. So within Ocelot Consulting, we have a smaller startup called Phrase Science. And as a data science intern, I work in the team that ha- work on the data science team in Phrase Science.
0: And freight um, science—that's so like mm-hmm. shipping, like like mm-hmm. trucks or in trains around the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> ah, which reminds me, St. Louis, Missouri, is a big freight hub, isn't it? Lots yeah, of trains and trucks come through mm-hmm. St. Louis.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. See. So you see, like nowadays, there's a lot of data science tools for other industry, right? But there's not a lot of data science tools out there for trucking industry, so. Yeah. What freight science do is they help the trucking companies to make the decision that maximize their profit um right, right. And yeah so did, using
0: data did, and predictive analytics to help and minimize freight costs, optimize routes right, <laughs> sorry
1: uh-huh right uh it actually right so it uh it's two parts that, that's how I, I think about it. One is to forecast the number of orders, right? And the second part oh. is based on the number of orders that you think will have on a particular land for a particular company. How do you going to make the decision that optimize the profit of the company in the long term? So um, there's two parts in it. So for me, my part as a my role as a data science intern, I work on the first part, which is to use machine learning and deep learning to forecast what will happen, uh, how many orders there will be for a particular company or particular land on a particular day. And my forecast will be used by another group in the our company to do mm-hmm. some uh numerical yeah numerical optimization. I and also another thing that I have just done recently was to, you know, when you launch a product you want to know how good it is. So my responsibility was to see if there's a causal impact of our product uh on our uh, it do, do it impact them positively.
0: Right to see if there's a causal impact of yeah. working with Ocelot Consulting. Mm-hmm. What did you find? Hopefully a positive impact.
1: <laughs> uh, that's a mix, right? You, I mean, for, for some region, there's like, I we can see like a statistical significant um, right. increases in revenues, but for some region, right. we see the increase, but it's not significant, so we cannot do any right. kind of, you know, conclusion on that, but Right, overall, right. increase so that's a good news.
0: Nice, yes, that is good news. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could just be a sample size issue. It could be that even in those yes. regions where you, mm-hmm. yeah you see an increase, because, but it's not statistically significant. Yeah, you mm-hmm. just need more data.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sample size is pretty small, but right? mm-hmm. we, we we just try to do like oh, we have the data. Let let's see if we can see a causal impact here. But uh, we also know that the data is not big, so. Um, maybe the result can can be, you know, not accurate.
0: Right, right, right. Exactly. So cool. So sounds like Ocelot Consulting is doing some cool work using data science practically to forecast orders and then to allow freight firms to maximize their profits based on those forecasts. So that's super cool. And I have a clear sense of what you do there. Are there any particular software languages or tools or approaches that you use most days in that job?
1: Yeah, um, so there's so I write in Python, uh, all, Python all, everything yeah. I write is in Python, and um, we use Azure ML. And um, oh, yeah. also, and there's a very cool open source software that I use to build data science pipeline called Kedro. I don't know if you heard Oh, that. how do
0: you spell that? No, I'm it's, not sure I have.
1: It's K-E-D-R-O.
0: Hedro. Oh, cool. Yeah. So what does that do?
1: Right. So, you know, writing code in data science is different from writing code for software. Right. And, and right. the difference is that you have a function and you use a function to process the data. Maybe you, you kind of guessed how the output would be, but you're not 100% sure, right? And it, so, so that is only one function. If you put, apply multiple functions to one data, the code will, it will look very messy and um, you're you even more not sure about the output. So the ideal way to go about doing this is you put your code, your functions into a pipeline and you know for sure what is the input of uh, the data and what is the output of the data. So uh, that's what uh Kedro allows you to do. So it put functions at nodes, right? So you have different nodes, and then these nodes are connected through a pipeline.
0: Oh, cool. So it's kind of it allows you to visualize. Your whole Mm -hmm. data processing pipeline, yeah. um, Mm -hmm. So you can keep track of everything that's going on. That makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So that's super cool. I'm glad to learn about Kedro today. Um, Mm -hmm. And you mentioned also Azure ML, so Mm -hmm. you know a cloud, Microsoft's cloud service, Mm -hmm. and uh, kind of their machine learning functionality built into that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yeah, somewhat unsurprising that you're using Python. So that's cool. I Um,
1: know. I, yeah. I I just wanna briefly mention another tool that is mm-hmm. great expectations. Um I don't know. So it's
0: expectations.
1: Like great expectations. Great so,
0: expectations. Oh that's a great yeah. name.
1: <laughs> so you know you have a certain expectation for your data, right? And what what could happen is your data change. Maybe it changes in different ways, right? Maybe the column that used to be there for the new data is not there anymore. Or there's uh, missing values that there were not missing values before, or there's a shift in the distribution of your data and great expectations can help you to validate your data before you actually apply the functions on it, which is very ideal right. because, you know, if, if you have some error, you don't know if that's because of the new data or that's your code.
0: Right. That's cool. Yeah, I, I love these tools. It's great to learn about these. Um, so thank you so much for sharing those with us, Quinn. Mm-hmm. And something that I think might be mind blowing for listeners about you is that despite, say, doing data science internships at places like Ocelot Consulting, really digging in to juicy, uh, beneficial work, uh, you know, really contributing to the company on top of that, And on top of being this prolific writer, both of long-form blog posts at Towards Data Science and more recently NVIDIA, as well as on LinkedIn, on top of all of that, (laughs) you're a full-time student. So you are an undergraduate student. You're finishing up soon. So next year, you'll finish your undergrad degree. You're studying for a Bachelor of Science in Computational and Applied Mathematics, and you're doing okay at it. You've got a perfect 4.0 GPA. So uh, how do you prioritize all of these different strands of your life against each other? You've got so many different things going on and you do all of them to perfection. You have a perfect GPA and you know you haven't been writing these long form blog posts for very long. It's been less than two years that you've been doing it for Towards Data Science. And already you're getting hundreds of thousands of views per month. How do you prioritize your time so that you can execute on all of these different strands of your life so effectively?
1: Yeah, thank you for the very uh, great introduction on that. Um, So, I think for every, so when we talk about prioritize, it's not, it's more the first thing that we want to do is to say no to the things that, we don't care about and uh, or not right. important in our life. And right. for me, I say no to except LinkedIn. I, I don't do so much social social media or. Mm. Right. And, and also one thing about so one person can sit on a homework for three hours and that person might not be, a, be able to finish as much as another person who work on the homework for one hour but they very focus on it. So for me totally. I yeah. Um so for me I enjoy studying so and I enjoy working and I enjoy writing. So every time I do something I pay full attention to the thing that I do. So in a way I I'm in the flow, right? I'm I'm not getting much distracted and that really helps because that pushed me over, you know being tired, so so that's that's very helps, and um, I also try not to be stressed because, you know, when you are stressed, oh, there's so many things to do. Oh, what can I do? I, you know, I I think about in the long term, it it will be okay. I I will be able to finish all these things in the long term. The things I'm stressed about, it it, they will not matter anymore, and because of that, I feel calmer, and because I feel mm. calmer. I don't bring that stress into my work, which, you know, could affect my uh, quality of work in a negative way.
0: That is such great advice. I suspect, Quinn that's something that helps with both of those last two things you mentioned. So you mentioned three things saying no, which is hugely important and so easy to not do. It's so easy to, you know, I'm guilty of this. I'm getting a little better. I've I've historically been very guilty about saying yes to everything because I like to please people. But you if you say yes to everyone, especially when it's individual requests, mm-hmm. that eats into time that you could be spending creating content that gets viewed people. in your case by hundreds of thousands of people. So mm-hmm. saying no to some individual requests and lead to a much bigger impact, much, much, much orders of magnitude bigger impact. And so, yeah, so that's hugely important, I agree. For those last two, so saying no was the first thing. The second thing you mentioned was focusing 100% on the task on hand. And the third thing was uh, minimizing stress. And I suspect that something that helps with two and three, with the focus as well as reducing stress, is being really passionate about what you do. And you mentioned it there. You said, I like to study, I like to do my data science work, I like to write. And so probably that's a a big part of this, right, is finding Mm -hmm. what you enjoy doing.
1: Yeah. And also there's a code called you fake it until you make it, right? So (laughs) I believe that, you know, like for the subjects that I don't like about, I will tell everybody that I love this class. Even though I, I I didn't like it, I <laughs> tell everybody, and they was like, yeah. "What? Like, yeah, that's true." So you know, I, I just trick people and trick myself into liking right. the subject, and yeah. because I like the subject, I don't mind spending hours on doing it. Right. And it I like I, I actually like it, like them now, just for the exception of some classes. Uh, but yeah, I, I I still like studying.
0: That's funny. I haven't thought of fake it till you make it in that kind of context. I usually think about, in fact, I've only ever before thought about this idea of fake it till you make it in the context of just uh, tricking other people into thinking that you know what you're doing. But Mm -hmm. I love this way that you're framing it of even to yourself by taking a class that maybe you're not so sure about and just saying, you know what, I'm going to like this. I'm going to make this work. Mm-hmm. and then your own mind comes around and says, you know what, this isn't so bad.
1: Right. I like and I also faith that I'm a good student. So, <laughs> you know, if, if I don't understand something, I will. So if, you know, a professor asks a questions and uh they talk about something I don't understand, I would just ask some questions. And um or I just guess what he's going to say next. And so people thought I I, I know. But it's just about, I have more courage than other people to speak out, speak up.
0: That makes so much sense, Quinn. So tell me, this degree that you're pursuing, computational and applied math, Mm -hmm. I think I know what the answer is going to be. But do you think that that degree is going to be helpful to your data science career?
1: I would say yes and no. Uh, Oh, I'm
0: surprised that there's any no. It seems to me, it seems like one of the most in demand. Uh, aspects of a data science career. So I can't, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing the yes, but I'm even more looking forward to hearing the no. Go ahead.
1: Right, right. So um, I guess I, so what I observed over time was, you know, in my school, I, I, uh, I did took some course on math for machine learning and it was very helpful. I like, you know, linear algebra and uh, all those mm-hmm. fun stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. but what I realize is that if I don't apply them right away, I will forget them. And I right. think, like at school, the way they teach you is they teach you a bunch of theoretical thing, one after another and after another. Right. And then right, they, if right. for my computer science class, I had them on different things, right? It. So some of them in R, which I, uh, and some of them in C plus plus, not of them Python. Right. Um. Right. But. But like, you know, it's it and they teach you like so many software. So but the company that you will work with, they not necessarily use those tools. And right. once you get you graduate and you work in the company, you forget about those. So that's right. that's why I say there's a yes and no in there. A lot of a lot of knowledge that I still remember, like the essential concepts of statistics, you know. Um mm-hmm. Or linear regression, or you know, the time series. I, I still remember some of them, but some of them I forgot. So that's why it, it leads to another thing that I often advise people on when they want to learn the math behind data science is to do both at the same time, right? It's not like you shouldn't learn right. the theory, but you should ask a question why do you want to learn this? And what you're going to apply it for and learn a little bit at a time. So you learn, you apply, and then you learn, you apply one one piece at a
0: time. Yeah, getting the theory and the application at the same time can be hugely beneficial. I uh, Someone named Vince Pitaccio, who used to be a data scientist that worked for me, and now he works at Amazon Web Services. Mm-hmm. He was on an episode earlier this year of the Super Data Science Show. He was on episode number 459 talking about how you can use data science to to tackle climate change. Um, So Vince, before he worked with me as a data scientist, he simultaneously pursued a master's in computer science with a data science specialization, which was teaching him the theory, while in his spare time around doing that, um, that degree, he was taking Udacity courses which were hands-on and applied applications of data science. So kind of like you're saying, well, exactly like you're saying, um, having these underlying theoretical foundations and making those strong while simultaneously finding data science applications, I think that it's a great way to to make the most of both. And hopefully that also helps with with remembering the theory as well. So you were talking about sometimes you learn theory, and I guess that's what your no was, right? That you were saying, Mm Yes and no. The big no is that you feel like you learn a bunch of things that you just forget anyway.
1: <laughs> right, right. That, that's what I, how I feel about it. Um, I feel like there's a better way on doing it. I, I just I just feel like if eighty percent of what you learn is forgotten, then you know there might be a better way to go in about retain your knowledge for the the hours that you're putting.
0: Right. Oh. I understand. Sometimes it does feel like that in school where you're like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I don't know how this is going to help me. <sighs> and mm-hmm. so I, I can understand that. I can understand that. But yeah. something that you mentioned to me before we started recording was how you felt that your college degree has helped e- enormously with learning how to learn. And oh. so even if you're forgetting things later, <laughs> some <laughs> of that stuff, some of that stuff you're forgetting is still helping you come up with better ways of learning how to learn. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think I refine the way that I learn over time, and um, there's a book called "Made to Stick," and I read made the book. Stick. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's either made to stick or made to stick, but what this one you is, um, if you learn a knowledge right and you, okay, so there's two ways of learning passive and uh, active, active learning right yeah. so passive means you watch a video and you're like hmm, understand that that's that's easy, but uh active learning mean you watch a video and you're like okay i I kind of understand that, but can I actually what what, what is the application you think more about it you're like okay can i what can I do with this and can I rewrite mm-hmm. what he said in my paper, in, in my own exactly.
0: words? Exactly, in your own so, words.
1: Right. And I think uh, when I read the book and it say like the, the student who study for a long, like they try to roll study again and again and again and again. Like, you know how students often like stay up late for the test uh, the next day. So they just try to, you know, uh, do like wrote like try to, read again and again to make sure that they understand the concept compared to the students who you know take less amount of time but they actually make themselves feel uncomfortable so you know like when you learn like sometimes feel easy sometimes it feels uncomfortable right but what I learned from the book is feeling uh, uncomfortable when you're learning is a very good sign that you are absorbing new knowledge because you know like because your your neurons, i think it's something go uh, about your neurons. so if when when you try to learn new skills like when you actually try to like it's like lifting weight right you you i know you lift a lot of weight but uh if you just <laughs> do like the weight that you feel comfortable with right uh, it it's, it you you actually it it doesn't improve much but if you like you know get okay today i'm going to do a little bit heavier today i'm going to be a little bit yeah. heavier then yeah. you, you, feel, you feel it's hard that it, work, it's, it is working. Um, so that, that's that how I
0: think about it. That is a great analogy. And I mm-hmm. couldn't agree with you more. I also was one of these people in my undergrad. I was very, I really loved my courses and I was focused on getting really good grades. And like you, I discovered mm-hmm. these kinds of active learning techniques. And mm-hmm. so just to summarize some of your ideas there, being able to put what you learned in your own words and thinking about and maybe even actually applying the knowledge that you've learned uh, is critical to this act of learning being effective. And yes, that analogy, I love that weightlifting analogy, because when you are learning effectively, it isn't comfortable. If if you're finding things very easy to understand, you're not uh, pushing how much you could be learning in that time, uh, just like when you go to the gym, if you're not, you know, increasing the weights and doing as much as you can, yeah, you're not making the most of that time working out. So mm-hmm. great analogy. In this episode, Quinn, uh, before we wrap up, we should handle mm-hmm. a couple of audience questions. So sometimes, before I have a guest come on the show, I make mm-hmm. a post saying, "Hey." This guest is coming up soon. Do you have any questions for them? And so I did one for you, Quinn, just earlier this week at the time of recording. And so we got a huge amount of engagement, which doesn't surprise me given how engaged your audience is. So over 10,000 views of this post and so many questions. We had nine questions come up. So we're only going to take time to answer a couple of the questions that uh, you thought were most, most interesting to you. So Nikolai Kurbatov, who frequently features on the Super Data Science podcast with his brilliant questions that he asks guests, he he asked five very technical questions. And one of them, number two, was what would be your takeaways if you consider Mm -hmm. the traditional software development approach versus the data science development approach? And I think this is an interesting one because you actually addressed this earlier. So Earlier on in the episode, you talked about Kedro, which allows you to visualize data science workflows. Um, and when you did that, you mentioned how that kind yeah, of data science I, development, I wanting to see that's those all data I got to data flows is different from um, kind of traditional software. I don't know if you have anything else to add, but <laughs> we kind of covered it. And then, so Christoph Ogerbeck, who is also big, at least in my LinkedIn community, he's uh, very frequently commenting on posts and engaging with people, uh, not just me, but other people that uh, respond to posts that I make. And mm-hmm. Christoph had four insightful kind of, uh, in some senses, philosophical questions. <laughs> and some of them you've already answered. So one of his questions was, how important is it to show up every day? And we talked about that a lot in this episode, talking about consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of his other questions was, what's the biggest difference between today's Quinn versus Quinn writing her first Medium article? So I think this is a really interesting question to give you a chance to talk about your journey a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I guess what I did before writing, so uh, was I, I try to be consistent with learning data science by putting one hour per day on doing Kaggle uh, competition. Mm. but I, I, so how I feel from it is I don't feel engaged in practicing data science because what I did was I, you know, I just doing some analysis, but I don't know where this will go. You know, I, I don't have a goal for the project, so it's not exciting. And I, right. I thought that I didn't like data science. I thought data science is not my thing. <laughs> um, but then I I tried writing articles and I, I tried with couple of posts that you know I, I have a question that I want to answer so I um, do a data analysis on it and run an article but and it was so fun and I realized that hey I, I data science actually fun if I have a goal in my mind on what what I want to achieve with it so uh, since then before I was not at all confident about my Python skill or data science skill. I feel like I'm a beginner. But once I start writing about what I learned and people start to recognize me as an expert in the field, I feel much more confident about my skills. Um, so, and I actually increase my skill significantly by writing articles and writing posts every day on Python. Um, so, I would say. Me thinking about my, me before writing, I would think myself as a beginner, but now I feel, I think I feel much more confident about myself and I also more confident to tackle more complicated concepts instead of, you know, say, I don't know anything about this and sorry, but I, I I cannot do this.
0: Nice. That's a great answer. So some things have stayed the same from... Quinn when she wrote her first Medium article versus the ones that she's writing today, and one of those, one of those is the consistency. So you, the consistency has stayed the same, but you feel much more conf, much more confident now than in the beginning, and yeah, so that's a big difference. Very cool, Quinn. Thank you for taking the time to answer those audience questions. Well, a question that I always ask guests on the show and you already kind of gave us a book recommendation just there that book made to stick, but do you have any other book recommendations for us? It sounds like you read a lot. So you might have more than one.
1: Yeah. I read like, um, a lot of book, um, on paper form and on audiobook. but there's mm-hmm. a book that, um, so there's a, I, I would talk about the book that motivated me to start writing on LinkedIn because. I I write article uh, before LinkedIn posts, uh, and I, I didn't write LinkedIn posts until I read that book. It called "Show Your Work" by show Austin your work. Austin Clare. I think I, I don't know how to say his last name, but what it say about it is um whatever you do how no matter how crappy your work is just show it to people because <laughs> because like some people will benefit from it you know. So I was like, and it will, you will get better over time. Like it, you know, no matter how bad it is, just show your work. So like at the beginning, I was like, okay, this is something very stupid. Like I think like everybody knows about this. Uh, it's something, you know, some Python snippet. I think everybody knows about it, but I'm going to post it anyway. Uh, I don't mind people think I'm stupid, uh, but I was actually like care a lot about it. I try not to yeah, check my yeah. notification. And right. people react very well to it, so it was like, "Okay, I'm gonna just keep doing this every day uh you know so even even on the day that I don't feel like it, I'm gonna do it very, very small whole snippet, and I'm gonna post it um and what surprises me is something that I talk very simple to people like something I thought you know there's no way people don't know about this. A lot of people don't know about that, so yeah. Um, I think we all have something worthy of sharing.
0: Yeah, so there's a number of points there that I think are brilliant. So I couldn't agree more that sharing your work is key. It takes courage initially to think, oh, if I write a Medium post or I write a LinkedIn post, that anybody's going to care. But it helps you refine your own thinking about a concept. So even if literally nobody reads it, that kind of active listening that you were describing Putting something into your own words and publishing that, uh, yeah. you know, something that you wanted to learn anyway, it's, it's it means that you're more likely to think critically about this concept and, you know, where are the gaps in my understanding. So even mm-hmm. if nobody looked at it, it would still be a valuable exercise. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. on top of that, as you point out, it's interesting how often even the stuff that you don't think is going to be interesting is, you know, there are people out there who are more beginner than you. And in fact, in a field like data science or software development, there's way more people out there that know nothing about it, or just a tiny little bit, who would love to have somebody explain even relatively simple concepts in an easy to understand way. So, hugely valuable. And this ties into something um, that I've ascribed to for years, and I think you do as well. You talked in the beginning of this episode about consistency. Mm-hmm. So you talked about with towards data science, you committed to writing short articles, but on a consistent schedule. And I think this is the key thing as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that that leads to another book that it reminds me of. Another book that also really helps me along the way is it called Atomic Habit.
0: Yes, um, that's exactly and, right. That's that's where I get these ideas from because I've been. Long before James Clear wrote that book, Atomic Habits, I met him on a bus in Switzerland. Wow. He was sitting next to me on the bus.
1: We and already. he said,
0: oh, me, this was like nine years ago, something wow. like that. Uh-huh. Uh, it was, no, not quite that long ago. It was 2014. I met him in a bus in Switzerland. So like, what is that? Six years ago? Seven years ago? Uh, it's hard to do math while I talk at the same time. That's, <laughs> I think it's seven years ago. And he was, at that time, he said, you know, I am committed to writing a blog post every single Monday and every single Thursday. And he was able to accumulate uh, over half a million subscribers to his blog. Um, So they were subscribers to his email newsletter. And that's what allowed him to have lots of content for his book, Atomic Habits, and that it also meant that he had this uh, large audience. And so through his posts, I was learning these kinds of ideas, like uh-huh. writing consistently on a schedule. Right.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: I use that as a model for my own life with all of you know, my LinkedIn posting and any of the writing that I do, it's on a schedule because uh-huh. it's crazy. If you publish stuff on a schedule, you force yourself to do it. Posts that you think are short or quick, you didn't really think critically about it, you didn't do a good uh-huh. job. Some of those posts do really well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's
1: that's a, that's why like, I think you know just at the beginning right for like when you try to start something don't focus too much on the quality try to focus on the quantity which sounds kind of bad right Um, i mean for my articles i'm like if you want to start an article just write you know any kind of article just just start writing very short article if you want to have one hour write a one hour blog post and you end with your day um so i i think you know just just Put your work out there and do put like you know have a schedule right. For me, my schedule is write at least one article per week. I used to have more strict articles like I need to write every Wednesday and publish on Thursday. But I realized that sometimes I want more flexible than that. Uh, you know, sometimes I prefer to write very long articles. So, um, but have some kind of you know schedule in your mind. Definitely will get you through um, the kind of the momentum to get started.
0: Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. Wonderful, Quinn. Well, you've been an amazing guest on the show. We've learned so much about how to be a great technical writer, Mm -hmm. as well as how that technical writing can be impactful for your career, whether it's Mm -hmm. data science or something else. So thank you for sharing your secrets with us. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on for another episode soon.
1: Yeah, that would be great. Um, Thank you for having me on your show. It was very enjoyable to talk to you.
0: Quinn is so incredibly impressive. I'm delighted she was able to prioritize an appearance on Super Data Science amongst all of the pursuits she's tackling with aplomb in her life. In the episode, Quinn filled us in on how you can maximize the impact of your technical writing by running your content by a non-expert before publishing, by finding ways to explain concepts simply, and by including lots of visuals. She talked about how data science can be used to forecast freight orders and optimize transport firms' profitability, the software application Kedro for visualizing data flows, the great expectations tool for documenting data science and ensuring data quality and how to be as epically productive as her by saying no, focusing 100% on the task at hand, enjoying what you do, framing your obligations in a positive mindset and actively learning by applying your knowledge and putting it into your own words. As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, the URLs for Quinn's LinkedIn and website, as well as my own social media profiles at superdatascience.com 521. That's superdatascience.com 521. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review on your favorite podcasting app or on the Super Data Science YouTube channel. I also encourage you to let me know your thoughts on this episode directly by adding me on LinkedIn or Twitter and then tagging me in a post about it. Your feedback is invaluable for helping us shape future episodes of the show. Since this is a free podcast, if you're looking for a free way to help me out, I'd be very grateful if you left a rating of my book Deep Learning Illustrated on Amazon or Goodreads, gave some videos on my personal John Crone YouTube channel a thumbs up, or subscribe to my free, spam-free, and content-rich newsletter on johncrone.com. To support the Super Data Science company that kindly funds the management, editing, and production of this podcast, you could consider creating a free login to their learning platform at superdatascience.com, or consider buying a usually pretty darn cheap Udemy course published by Ligency, a Super Data Science affiliate, such as my own Mathematical Foundations of Machine Learning course, which... I recently finished. So you can check out all the linear algebra and calculus content that I've published into that course. All right, thanks to Ivana, Jaime, Mario, and JP on the Super Data Science team for managing and producing another fun episode for us today. Keep on rocking it out there, folks, and I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science podcast with you very soon.